This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. You may be seated. I guess I didn't have to say that, did I? One of these days, I'm going to tell you to stand back up. Just to keep it real. Oh, kids, you're staying in here today, so look at your mom and ask if she's got any snacks. Okay, let's pray together before we start. Heavenly Father, as we again come to the time of your word, we pray as as we always do that through your spirit that you would again reveal Christ and, and through him your truth and your glory, your majesty, your mercy, your grace. Father, that, that our hearts would be refreshed and convicted, and encouraged, and admonished that you are our only hope, that that only in you do we find our worth and any value that's worth having. Father, show us the glory of our Savior and and through Him the, the gift that you have given us by His blood, and it is in His name that I pray, amen. Again, I appreciate y'all bearing with me in this time of weakness. I'm hoping maybe a couple more weeks and I'll be able to stand, but we shall see. Shannon's giving me the I don't think so look. We're going to be back in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now she's telling me to be patient. That's pushing it. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. And while you're heading there, would it make you uncomfortable if I asked you how much you're worth? Maybe you've worked hard and invested Maybe you haven't. Are you proud of what you're worth or ashamed? I did some research into a few of you. I thought I'd begin this morning by letting others in here know how much you're worth. Does that make you nervous? Don't worry, it's not that impressive. According to the Davidson Institute of Science and Education in April 2020, everyone in this room is worth about $200. At least that's what the elements in your body could be sold for. Now, 
Granted, some of us have more elements than others. <laughs> and for some reason, as one gets older, one tends to accumulate different kinds of metal in various parts of their body, but you are still worth only about 200 bucks. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a child of the 80s and 90s. I do my Jack Handy personal affirmations. You guys remember him? The guy that sat before the, in front of the mirror and he said, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Good. You're still not worth more than about $200. The reason I bring that up is because this morning Peter wants to talk about the lifelong search of every human being that has ever lived. That's the search for worth. Rich or poor, young or old, short or tall, every person in this room wants to have worth. Everyone in here wants to be useful and to have meaning and value. Jobs, family, wealth, neighborhood, physique, pretty much anything we can get our hands on, we try to figure out how to use it to make us worth more. The problem is that all of those things we seek to define our worth by are fleeting. For example, many men look to their jobs for their worth. But when that doesn't come to fruition, we call it a midlife crisis. Many women look to their families for worth. But then when their kids grow up and leave the house, crisis. Which looks like more dogs and other living things to take care of. <laughs> to try to reestablish that worth. I'd say, in fact, many people do very irrational things to try to maintain their worth. Many youth, are, many youth find their worth in their physique. And then as they get older and that, that physique begins to fade, they do terribly irrational things like kale and kombucha and donut-less diets in order to maintain their worth. This morning we find ourselves in a very pivotal passage in 1 Peter because Peter is on the cusp of calling us to do some very hard things. Things that might make us feel worthless. They might make us feel inferior. They might make us feel unvaluable. Things like submission to governments and bosses and husbands. But not just any governments or bosses or husbands. He's going to call us to submit to evil governments and tyrannical bosses and unbelieving husbands. All things that have the very real potential of assaulting our sense of worth in this world. So before he does that, he wants to make sure that we are settled on this issue of worth. 
Because if we're looking for our value from this world, then we won't be able to do the things he's calling us to do if they lessen our value. If you want an example, one of the things that that makes it so hard right now with the stuff going on, say, in the government, doesn't matter what side of the line you're on, is that as these, say, rights or, or privileges or things get stripped away, effectively what's happening is our say in what happens in our country is being taken away, and that starts to prick at the nerve of worth. So before Peter does this, before he calls us to some of these very difficult things that that might attack our worth, he wants to make sure that we are settled on this issue. He wants to make sure we know where our worth lies before he does that. Because Peter knows that, that conversely, when we know where our worth lies, when we know that our worth is secure, we will then have the capacity and the courage to do these different things, these, these difficult things. So this morning, what Peter wants us to see is this. This morning, Peter wants us to, to grasp that our worth is in Christ alone. That our worth is in Christ alone. Oh, well, I know that. I mean, that's simple enough, isn't it? If you spent any time in church, you probably sung at least a few songs that say something like that. I would say not so much. Let me prove it to you. What's the first thing Just about any guy would ask another guy the first time they meet. What do you do? That's basically the guy way of determining each other's worth on the spot. Women, you're not off the hook. Why does the word submit still take effort at best or conflict at worst? It's because these these are the ways that we search for worth. We need to hear what Peter has to say this morning about it. Now just as a a technical note, in order to understand how Peter is saying this, we need to to see, I want you to to notice that, that this passage is one of those sandwich passages. It's one of those passages where the outsides are explained and amplified by the middle. In other words, we we need to start in the middle of this passage and work our way out in order to see what Peter is saying. So I want you to look at what Peter says in the middle in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Because the first thing we need to know is that our worth is in Christ alone because He is chosen and precious. Because He is chosen and precious. In verse 6, Peter writes, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So to make sure we understand what Peter is talking about, a, a cornerstone was, a, was, a, was of primary importance in, in ancient building techniques because it was used to determine the, the square and the plumb of a building. You might be able to use some extra mortar or something like that to, to kind of square off or straighten up a, a, an irregular stone somewhere in the wall. But the cornerstone established the first 90-degree corner and the, and the plumb that was going to go up. In other words, the cornerstone had to be just right because it determined what straight was. Now, I've seen houses where builders cheated on the foundation. I've been in homes where you could, I could put my closed fist through a crack in the wall or where there was over a foot difference between the plumb of the top of a building and the bottom of a building. It's common knowledge that your foundation is essential to whether or not your structure has any worth. And the same is true for the kingdom of God. The foundation of the kingdom of God is what determines whether or not it has any worth. And so God began to prepare us for this principle hundreds of years before Peter. About 600 years before Peter wrote this letter, a young Jewish man named Daniel had been taken prisoner by the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Daniel into his throne room because he had heard that Daniel could interpret this terrifying dream that he was having that none of his counselors could interpret. So with not only his own life on the line, but with the lives of many others, Daniel enters the throne room of this king. And he said to King Nebuchadnezzar, and I paraphrase from Daniel chapter 2, he said, King, my God has shown me that the dream you had was of a terrifying statue. He said the head was made of gold. And then he said the arms and the chest were made of silver, and the waist was made of bronze, and the legs were made of iron. And the toes were made of a mixture of clay and iron. And he said, but, but my God then showed me that, that you saw a, another stone carved out of a mountain, but not by human hands, and it was thrown at this statue and destroyed it. And Daniel said, my God told me that this is what your dream means. He said, the statue represents kingdoms. Yours is the head of gold. And the rest of it are future kingdoms. But the stone carved from the mountain, it represents the coming kingdom of God. And of its increase, there will be no end. It will stand forever. So just through Daniel here, we have God preparing us that this stone was going to have power and authority and might. But this wasn't the first time God's prophets had spoken of this stone about a hundred years before Daniel, the prophet Isaiah also spoke of a stone. After telling Judah that they were going to be put to shame for their pride, God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 28, He said, Behold, I am the one who has laid a stone in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and whoever believes will not be put to shame. That's what Peter quotes in chapter 2. So God had already spoken of a stone that was going to save and judge. 
But even earlier still, about 300 years before Isaiah, David, speaking again of the Lord's salvation, wrote in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, so this stone was also going to be rejected by the world before it became the powerful saving cornerstone. So with all of this rich imagery in Israel's history, of this stone being the foundation of God's kingdom and salvation, here's what happened. Over the years, the Jews assumed that Israel was the stone that God would use to destroy the kingdoms of the world and save those who would believe. They thought Jerusalem, and, and, and more specifically the temple, was the stone on which God would build His kingdom and put the world to shame for rejecting. But centuries later, a young homeless rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus came walking into the temple teaching something very different. He came teaching that it wasn't the temple that God was talking about. And when the religious leaders confronted him and, and said, with what authority do you come in here and say this stuff? And Jesus' only answer to them, this is so Jesus, what do you think it means when the Bible said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm the cornerstone that David and Isaiah and Daniel spoke of, and your rejection of me is the rejection that God spoke of. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have the authority to say these things because I'm the one who has the authority to dictate the level and plumb of God's kingdom. So here's what I want you to make sure you understand about the middle of our little sandwich passage here. What Peter is reminding us is that in eternity past, the triune Godhead asked itself, how can we make Christ more beautiful? How can we glorify ourselves more? How can we make Christ more worthy and precious? And the Father said, I know. Let's make Him the cornerstone of a new kingdom. A kingdom of people for my possession. And let's make Him that cornerstone by making Him become one of those people. And let's make Him more precious by making Him the Redeemer of these people through rejection and sacrifice. Let's make Him more precious by making Him the cornerstone of my people by Him saving them with His own blood. So don't miss what Peter is saying about Jesus. Look at verse 4. Peter says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look what he says in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, this is God speaking, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. The heart of this passage 
is that Jesus is the one who is chosen and precious. And only because of his preciousness can those who believe in him find any honor or worth. For those who don't, the only thing there is is shame. This is so important to understand. Our worth is in Christ alone. Not because we have any worth of our own, but because He is chosen and precious. The only thing worth anything in our life is what God thinks about you. And God only thinks one person is worthy. He only thinks one person is precious. He only thinks one person is chosen. Therefore, any worth we have, any value we have, any honor we have before God is because of this. Listen, it's because Jesus Christ chooses to share His worth with us. He is so worthy and so precious that He is willing to share that with you. Our worth is in Christ alone because He is the chosen and precious cornerstone on which we're built. So if you're listening to me this morning, and let's just say you don't believe in Christ, you do not believe in Jesus, or maybe you are listening and and you do believe in Jesus, and, and you've been looking for your worth in, 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 in all other kinds of things in this world, your job, your family, your physique, I have just one question for you. The question that this passage is asking. Do you want to be honored or put to shame? Do you want to be valued or do you want to be meaningless? Do you want to have worth or worthlessness? Let me show you what Peter says, how he describes the worth that we have in Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5 as we look at the outside of this sandwich. Where Peter says our worth is in Christ alone because through him you are God's house. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but put, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, now to understand the impact of what Peter is, is telling these first century Christians, it's important to understand that back then, your identity, your worth, your value, it came primarily from where you were from or who you were from. For example, Jesus was regularly ridiculed for being from Nazareth and being the son of a carpenter, both lowly things back then. So they didn't have the ability for movement up and down the, the socioeconomic ladder like we have been blessed with. So what Peter wants these early Christians to understand is that when you are in Christ, your worth is no longer about where or who you're from. 
And in a similar way, he's saying to you and I this morning, the different places that we look for worth in this world are worthless compared to the worth we have in Christ. In verse 5, Peter says that, that on the cornerstone of Jesus, you and I are being built up into this spiritual house for God. Let me give you an idea of the magnitude of what that means. A master's student at the Harvard School of Architecture, name was Kyle Dugdale, wrote his thesis on the role that architecture plays in society. And his main point was that the primary value of architecture has always been found in its means of defining the people living in it. In other words, we value our architecture because it displays who we are. And God is no different. Listen, because of Christ, God values you enough to define Himself, to display Himself, to use you to present Himself to the world. Because of the preciousness of Christ, God deems us valuable enough to use us as the architecture by which He defines Himself to the world. How can we look for worth in other places? How can our jobs or our bank accounts or our families have any impact on where we see worth when God in Christ sees us valuable enough to say, you know what, I'm going to show the world who I am through them. But Peter's not done yet. Not only is, is our worth in Christ alone because through Him we are God's house, but now look at verses 9 through 10 where he says that our worth is in Christ alone because through Him we are God's priests. We're not only God's house, but we're also God's priests. He says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, here's what makes what Peter is saying so incredible. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ultimate insiders. They were the ones that spent their lives in the presence of God. They got to be near God. They got to hear from God. And, and, and that meant that they got to tell other people about God. And the distinction between the priests and the regular schmucks of the Old Testament was severe. 1 Samuel chapter 13 probably gives us the best example of this. There were 30,000 Philistines on the doorstep of the capital just poised to overrun this tiny little Israelite army of like 2,000 people if God didn't intervene. 
And so, so, so this army gathered for a sacrifice to the Lord before they went to, the, went to battle, but there was a small problem. The soldiers were, were beginning to lose confidence and leave because the day the sacrifice was supposed to happen, Samuel the priest was a no-show. And God had said very clearly that only the priests are allowed to offer sacrifices. So in fear of going to battle without the Lord's favor, the king at that time named Saul stepped in and performed the sacrifice. I mean, what else were they supposed to do? Go fight a battle outnumbered 15 to 1 without God? I mean, besides, if the priest was a no-show, surely God would be okay with the man he had appointed king over Israel to stand in for the priest, wouldn't he? The Bible tells us that God ripped Saul's kingship from him for not waiting for the priests to offer the sacrifice. Peter is telling us that now we are those priests. Now we are the ultimate insiders. Not only has God chosen us to be the architecture through which He displays Himself, but because of the preciousness of Christ, God values us enough to share Himself with us and then use us as His mouthpiece to the world. We are now those special people who are near to Him and speak with Him in order to tell others about Him. Look again at what Peter said at the end of verse 9. He said, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, people of my own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't read that too quickly. How is it possible for someone to proclaim the excellencies of God? Don't they have to experience those excellencies in order to proclaim them? Once we were not a people, once we were worthless, once we had no value or belonging or significance, once we were the regular schmucks that had no special standing before God, once the only source of our worth was our our meaningless labor and our yards and our bank accounts, But now, because of Jesus, we are a people with immense value to God. Now, we are a people who God values enough to spend time with and share Himself with and reveal His will to. Now, we are the people whom God values enough to allow us to experience His excellencies. Our worth is in Christ alone because through Him we are God's house. And our worth is in Christ alone because through Him we are God's priest. You want application. Do you want to know what this means for your life tomorrow? It's really simple. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into into His marvelous light. That's it. 
John Piper summed this up so perfectly. He said, we are not worthy of Christ, but we have been given great worth because of him. Christ died for us, not because we were worthy, but now we have immense worth, immense worth because Christ died for us. Listen, this wasn't a fair trade. He died so we could live. He was devalued by the world so that you could be valued by God. He was rejected by men so that you could be accepted by God. What kind of God is that? What kind of God would allow himself to be devalued by his own creation in order to give value to those who would believe in him? If you're not a believer in here this morning, it's not super complicated. Our God would do that. Our God would allow himself to be devalued in order to give you value through Jesus Christ. Our worth is in Christ alone because through him we are God's house and God's priests proclaim those excellencies to the world. Proclaim those excellencies to the world. Peter is about to call us to do some very, very difficult things. I can tell you right now, next week is going to be rough. Things that, that I guarantee you are going to cause us to feel inferior. Things that might cause us to feel worthless and undervalued and unimportant. But how better to proclaim the excellencies of God than by gladly doing those things because our worth is totally secure in someone far more meaningful than this world could ever imagine. To display that this world cannot make me feel unvalued because my value is found outside of this world. And it's far more value than this world could ever offer. Your value is not, good, is not going to be dictated by who you submit to. Your worth is not determined by a dollar amount in your bank account. Listen, if you believe that Christ died for you, listen to this, then your worth is not even determined by your sin or your weakness. We're about to sing a song that says, Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Our worth is not found in this world. Not in our jobs, not in our cars not in our houses or even in our families. Our worth is in Christ alone 
because our value has been fixed by the blood of the cross. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something, that blood is priceless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am at once so humbled by what you would give to us and at the same time frustrated that my flesh won't allow me to grasp it better. Father, our hearts are hard. Our flesh is strong. And so, Father, we need your spirit. We need the power of your word. We need your grace to, to reveal to us the worth and the value of our Savior and the redemption that you have performed through him in order to give us worth. Father, I pray that you would do this not for ourselves, but so that we could understand the, the majesty of Christ's worth. That we could understand and know better how to glorify Him for His worth and, and value that He shares with us. So, Father, it is in his name that I pray. Amen.